Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Thursday morning to each and every one of you. We welcome you to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 to 12. Yep, you can follow us. That's Eastern Time, by the way. You can follow us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports page. We're right here in our Chatterbox studios in the heart of Hamilton, Ohio. If you'd like to join us in podcast form, hearing more and more of you when I bounce around town uh, that are downloading the show regularly, we appreciate it. Wherever you get your podcast, just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. I don't know what the hell's going on over here. Casey's down here on the floor crawling around. Casey, you all right? I mean, I unplugged the thing yesterday and you didn't even say if it made any difference at all whatsoever. No, it does. It makes a big difference. In, just, in the microphone, is that the deal? Yes. Yeah, I still need to do some some major changes to the, the studio set so it doesn't do that anymore. You can't have anything plugged in over there or else it's going to make a buzz. Okay. So. Well, I have my computer plugged in today because I forgot to charge it last night. So is that okay or is that messing anything up? We'll, we'll fix it here in a second. Well, I'll just unplug it here in a sec. It's charged up by now. Yeah, I'm good. All right. All right. We're, We're all good, good then. Uh, everybody okay today? Uh, Casey, Paul, Jacob, you guys all right? Yeah, we're doing good. Yeah. Are you guys teaching yeah. Jacob Tissett, our intern, anything? Yes. You yes. are? Yes. What has he learned to do in the last 48 to 72 hours, if anything? Um, we're teaching him slowly how to build up clips for social media. Nice. And I know that's not uh, the, the this stuff here. I'm going to eventually have him sit here at some point. Who's going to sit there? Are you going on a honeymoon after your wedding here at the start of June? Yes. Like Reed, right, right after. Reed and I got it. What? Reed and I got it. Well, maybe. We might, we, we'll mix in Jacob one of those days too. Okay. Yeah. You know, we're going to get to Jacob one of these days because he works regularly with the University of Alabama football team. He's their video guy, Nick Saban. Yeah. Now yeah. there's a leader of men, Nick Saban. Here, we can get him. We can make get his debut just, right now. Yeah, why don't we just introduce him? All right, him. Jacob, welcome to uh, Chatterbox Sports. It's great to have you with us here all summer long. So at Alabama, right, you're in what year? I'm a, I just finished my junior year, so I'm oh. going to be a senior in the fall. All right, so what do you do with a football team regularly on a daily basis once it cranks up in what, August? Yes, sir. All right, First what do you do? First week of August, I get back down there to start filming fall camp. So I film coaches' film, practices, games, travel with the team, and everything like that. Really? Yes, sir. And so uh, of members of the coaching staff, do you once you, you get everything together, say for a practice, right? Yes, sir. Do you then – what happens after practice? You have to start breaking the stuff down? Yes, sir. So we bring in all the film off the cameras, add it to the basically the drive, much like we do here. And then the coaches and players can get the film off there on their iPads, phones, computers, stuff like that. So it's the film the coaches and players watch to get better, you know, watch um, after practice, stuff like so that. So after a practice, by the time you break it all down and send it out to the players, how soon after an Alabama football practice, when they're going two-a-days, whatever it is, on a Wednesday in August, how quickly can they then turn around and look at that film from that practice? Within an hour after practice. Really? Yes, sir. Maybe wow. less than that. How do you like Saban? I love him. It's a scary guy anytime you have to have a conversation with him. But uh, it's really cool. Cool to be around him. Cool to be around that facility and that team. What do you mean scary guy? What makes him a scary guy? Just because he's Nick Saban when you or have what? Seven national championships and everyone's walking around the hall, like holding their breath when they walk by. He has an aura about him that's just intimidating. 
Does he come across so? I mean, does he ever let his hair down? No, never. When he is in the facility, he's in the facility, and he's focused on whatever he has to do. Do people know the second his car pulls up in the facility, or has he beaten most people there already? Yes, to both. He's always the first. <laughs> <laughs> he has a spe special spot closer to the front door than any of the handicap spots that says reserved for the head coach. He pulls in there early in the morning, and when he goes to lunch or whatever he leaves during the day, everyone knows as soon as he gets back. What kind of, what kind of car is he driving? Uh, he has two Ferraris that he mixes in there, and then he has a, a bunch of Mercedes. Multiple cars? Sounds Multiple like Paul Prisoner growing up. <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> you know, I had one comment, and there's probably a good reason that you're scared of him. Because if you're ever wearing that polo around him, I'm uh, sure he does you're not appreciate spot on. that. Yes, for sure. No Ohio State stuff in Tuscaloosa. But he's a big Ohio State guy, right? Have to stay true to my roots while I'm back at home, for sure. Okay, so you're a Cincinnati kid. Yes, Went sir. to high school where? St. Xavier. Oh, of course. One of <laughs> You fit right in over there next <laughs> to Paul. It. We love it. That's right. Parochial school elite, right? That's right. But he's not a, he's not a, uh, he's not a coastal elite like you are. No, I check both boxes, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Well, Jacob, it's great to have you with us this summer. I'm happy to we're, be here. Once we get closer to football, though, we're going to start picking your brain a lot about the SEC because I think a lot of people here were fascinated about that conference from afar. The fandom, it's insane. You know, it is in a lot of places. But, um, but, but I have heard this. I'm curious before I let you go. I've, I've been told, I, I have a group of friends of mine, uh, there's about uh, eight or ten of them, and they pick a different college football stadium to go to every fall. So they've been everywhere from uh, USC to Oregon to Miami of Florida to Penn State, all points in between, including Alabama. One of the things that they shared with me on their trip to Tuscaloosa, I think when they went down there is about I'm guessing two or three years ago, uh, maybe four years ago. It's one thing, like Ohio State fans, we talk about them all the time. Their expectations, perhaps, are just are are, are just are, it's ridiculous, right? They, they had the feeling that in Tuscaloosa when they went down there, that it wasn't like it's ridiculous because oftentimes it's reality with the seven national championships, right? right. But that their fans almost take the winning. For granted. Do you think that's true? I would definitely agree. Being there in 2020 when we had Mac Jones, Devonta Smith, Najee Harris, and we went 10-0 in the SEC, won the national championship undefeated, it, it didn't feel like there was a, a wow factor on campus. I think everyone kind of expected that to happen. And then this last year when we went 10-2 with the losses at LSU and at Tennessee, the, the town sort of, I don't want to say gave up on the team, but you could feel the the vibe of Alabama football falling in the city at that, because we don't expect to lose. We don't lose very often. In the previous two years, we had lost one total game, and we lost two this year to two major rivals. So when the losses do come, they hit a little harder, but the wins, we don't really celebrate them as much until the national championship, because that is not only the expectation, but the reality of what we expect every year. Absolutely. All right, Jacob, thanks. Good to have you with us this summer, my man. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. We got uh, lots to cover here today. Uh, let's start with uh, baseball. And, 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 and really nice, everybody welcoming uh, Jacob into the program. So many of you saying, uh, uh, Sir Boy Wonder wanted you to throw up the OH. Mm -hmm. I told him it's not going to happen. 
Uh, well, look, things started out well yesterday uh, for the Reds in Denver. Two runs in the second. They get three more in the fifth. Graham Ashcraft, I mean, he's getting some key double play ground balls to get out of a little bit of trouble. So you kind of had a feeling that mm, we'll see. It is Denver. Well, then the wheels officially came off. Over the next two innings, Ashcraft and Lucas Sims were torched for 11 runs. Reds lose to Colorado 11-6. It wasn't a bad road trip at all. They went 3-3 three and three through Miami and Denver. We asked about Green. We asked the same question about Ashcraft. What's going on here? In April, his ERA was barely over 2. In May... Small sample size, I get it. It's over nine. In fact, in his last three starts, three starts, he's pitched a total of 12 innings in three starts and allowed 19 runs. Cincinnati has a day off today before the New York Yankees come to Great American Ballpark tomorrow night. Yanks are going to get in late, man. I remember these days. They're playing a night game up in Toronto. So it's not like flying in from New York. Toronto, even a major league team on a charter flight, you still got to go through customs. It is going to be a late night for the Yanks. Probably 2-3-A getting in here. Clark Schmidt starts against Ben Lively tomorrow night. First pitch at 640. And before I say tickets are available, are they available? They are available. They are Okay, I'm not going to say expensive, but they are relatively expensive for the Reds. They're not $13, $14. Cheapest is like $38 or $35 because I bought cheap tickets, or we we are buying cheap tickets, I think. Yeah, I I bought tickets last night to the June 2nd game that's also the Zach Brown concert post-game, that whole deal, Uh, the the night before Casey's wedding. Bought tickets to that last night, and they were the same price as tomorrow's. So, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're getting a big league ball game and you're getting a big time act. Yeah, yeah. yeah two for the price of one. But you're, but it's just the Brewers. It's not the Yankees. So Doesn't the Yankees. matter. It's not like uh, spending that cash for Taylor Swift. I know. I looked today on StubHub. Yeah. The cheapest ticket that I could find on StubHub. I was just curious what it is because I keep hearing all these stories from my daughter and my wife. 19 hundo. A ticket for Taylor Swift. I've seen her. Great show. Great show. Uh, On the hardwood, the unlikely run of the ace-seeded Miami Heat continues. All-world postseason player. You talk about top five in NCN. (laughs) My man, Jimmy Butler. Right? The cat is unbelievable. 35 points, five rebounds, seven assists, six steals. In Miami's Eastern Conference Final Game 1 win over Boston last night, 123-116. Remember now, the Heat barely beat Chicago in that play-in game to start this incredible run. They've gone on to knock off number one seed Milwaukee, the fifth seed New York Knicks. The Heat has won Game 1 in each of those series. Game 2 at Boston Garden tomorrow night. Nuggets and Lakers square off game two in the Western Conference final tonight in Denver. The Nuggets took game one on Tuesday night. The Nuggets have never beaten L.A. in seven prior postseason series. The Nuggets have never won an NBA title. Then Casey's number one topic. He thought we should leave the show off. And you know what? 
They probably should have. They should. Talking about FC Cincinnati. Last night in front of yet another sellout crowd at TQL Stadium, FCC beat Montreal 3-zip. Goalie Roman Celentano. He's a big leaguer. He is big I love goalies. I love goalies. Those are real men in any sport. Not the little guys that run around out there and flop on the field and all that stuff. Pick the sport. The goalies, those are the gamers. This guy pitches his sick shutout already this year last night. FC Cincinnati goes to 8-1-3 in MLS regular season action. 10-1-3 in all competitions, whatever that means. And with a victory last night, owns the best record in the league. And oh, by the way, 7-0 at home to start this season, which matches an all-time MLS record. FCC collides with their dreaded rival, Columbus. The crew rolling in. Truly that, that team up north. No, that's not truly <laughs> the team up north. No. But that game's on Saturday night, and you know it's going to be mayhem down there. Uh, do we got Tommy G coming back tomorrow? Do we I'm know yet? I'm confirming with him later this afternoon. We love having that guy. Yep. Confirming with him later this afternoon. I like that dude. He should be good. He's on his game. Uh, in golf, one of the sport's four majors begins today in Rochester, New York, the PGA Championship. I mean, you got all the big guys. Rom, Scheffler, top two ranked players in the world. Star-studded list, as you would expect. Uh, all in search of a major's win. We will have tomorrow Steve Flesh on the program, multi-PGA Tour winner, uh, to talk more about the PGA title. Justin Thomas is the defending champion. Coming up on the show today, one of my all-time favorite guys, and I worked with him for a number of years at Channel 5, just announced his retirement a number of months ago. Just ended a 40-plus year career here in local television at WLWT. George Vogel, the pride of Georgetown, Ohio. Any rivalry with Georgetown and Blanchester? No, not, nothing, nothing too big. Just the team we play occasionally. So you don't look at them. Are they, they, they remotely close to you out there or not really? A little bit of a rock. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. 20 minutes? I'm not sure if we even play them much anymore. I think we uh, left their 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 conference. Okay. That that. Well, you guys got bigger than them, right? Yes. As far yes. as number of students in the school. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but we did we did play them when I was in uh, when I was in school, and um, it was never very pretty. I'll just put it like that. What does that mean? Usually, one of the teams just smacked the other team around. What did that was that in favor of one school more so than the other? Well, when I was in school, it was Blanchester. Was I doing think, the knocking I, around? Yeah, I think back in the back in the day, though they they had the upper hand on us for a couple of years there before I was in uh, high school. So, but once we made it in there, it was just we were too big for them. When I was in high school, we had the biggest offensive line I think that school will ever see. Really? Yeah. <laughs> All, all the guy, all the starting offensive linemen were probably like two seventy five plus. Who was the Dewan Jones of Blanchester? <laughs> Who do you think that Dewan Jones of Blanchester uh, it's a, was? It's a great question. It is Thomas? a great question. Tomas, the best man, Tomas. Tomas. Oh, I'm not surprised. Big fella. Oh yeah, he's big, strong Mahler. dude, man. Big Mauler. Yeah, no doubt about it.
gets it done. Uh, Blackmore, 1964, wanted to know, wanted to ask Jacob if he is a Bud Light or White Claw kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. Down there at Alabama, I have a sneaking suspicion that Bud Light's not flying out the door. White Claws, maybe. White Claws? Hmm. Brian Grant went to Georgetown. You remember him, Paulie? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Would you say he's the greatest player that's ever come out of Xavier? David West? Uh, Well, one or the other, right? Yeah, I'd probably go David West. West? Yeah, West was the AP National Player of the Year. Okay. What I meant to ask was not necessarily college, but if you combine college and the pros. West a better pro than Grant? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, I'm just curious. All right. I mean, I would say so. Yeah. Okay. All right. I was just curious. I don't, I don't pay a lot of attention to it, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, they were both phenomenal players and good dudes, seemed like. Yeah. Yeah, really good guys. Um, okay, look, a lot of people yesterday, we had George Vogel coming up in about 12 minutes, but, uh, you know, we, we brought this up on the show yesterday about, and, and I'm curious what you guys think about this, because I heard it debated a lot on local sports talk radio yesterday and fans calling in and that kind of thing. I'm in and out of the car a lot, and so I'll turn it on from time to time, not all the time. Um, but, um, you know, there were some people that were really upset about that lineup David Bell put out there yesterday, right? Yeah. Matt McClain not being in the lineup, Kevin Newman being in the lineup. I don't know why people would go south on Barrero getting a chance to play. I, I don't understand that. But the question, you know, that, that I'm asking is, because I heard um, one of the callers that, that, that called in with Lance last night as I was driving around, and I love Lance. He, he's a friend and a good, good dude. I really like Lance McAllister a lot. Um, but, but, but somebody called in, and, and, and this was a, you could tell, an astute caller, okay, who knows baseball. I could just tell by listening to the guy for, for the first 30 seconds of his you know, monologue, for lack of a better term. But then he proceeded to say or make the uh, proclamation, and believe me, the way he put it, it was indeed a proclamation, that fans are idiots if they get upset about the lineup the manager puts together because the manager knows so much more about the team and the personnel and the matchups and all that kind of stuff. And I thought to myself, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I'm not saying that the manager doesn't know more about his team. That's indisputable. But fans have every right in the world to question the lineup on a daily basis if they so choose. Paul, you agree or disagree? I think that a lot of times fans have intelligent takes that you can certainly discern a lot of information from and yeah I, I, look part of sports is the fun and the interaction and and the fans like it's not so serious all the time right at some point you, it's not always so serious yeah what are we doing if the fans can't critique what's going on yeah i mean i agree with that sentiment um Coaches and teams are not absolved to criticism in any form. So, I mean, I the one thing I will say is that some of it was the Matt McClain thing for me. Um, he had played eight games in a row or something like that. Well, so. minor leagues along with the big leagues. And he had the one travel day where he got into Denver before his major league debut, I think something like three or four in the morning. And we were already thinking that he might have the day off bef- that, that Monday when he started. 
the, the series started on Monday, and I, I thought people were thinking that he would have that day off to recuperate. So I kind of understand that part. And, you know, you might as well throw in Barrero, um, give India a rest day. You know, I, I'm not so mad about the lineup because, I mean, just look what happened anyways. I mean... Yeah, I mean, they like jumped they, out to a 5 nothing lead, and, and I know it's Denver, but pitchers have to do better than what they did yesterday. Right. Yeah, I mean. And that's not on David Bell in any form or fashion. Yeah, I mean, they, had, they, they did enough to win the game. Six runs is enough to win any baseball game. Well, Denver might be the exception, but I know what you're getting at here. I know yeah. what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I, I just don't understand why, you know, why are you going to give any manager or any player just carte blanche and, oh, everything they do, it's got to be right. I mean, we criticized Zach Taylor on this show last year, the first two games of the year, even before the first two games of the year. When they had an entire revamped offensive line that they did not take a single snap in the preseason. And they gave up 13 sacks in the first two games of the year. They looked awful. Now, he would make the counter, he being Zach Taylor, that... You know, hey, look, our guys were healthy. They didn't get hurt in the preseason. And that's true. And, and I would certainly concede that point. You can't argue that point. That's a fact. But no one can make you believe that those guys not playing together and they talk about cohesion on an offensive line was not reflected in some form or fashion in those first two games of the year, especially the season opener against Pittsburgh when the quarterback's getting killed back there. Uh, but anyway, I, I just find it really interesting that um, that that some people get you know wrapped up in you know always assuming the manager or the head coach whatever the sport is that, that, that they know everything about everything and that automatically makes them right they know more than you and me but it doesn't make them right all the time so we will continue to question decisions here on off the bench well one decision uh, that I'm so excited about was uh, the decision to request and then the uh, decision to accept uh, an invitation to join us here on Off the Bench. Uh, one of the most popular guys there, really, um, who, who's ever been around on television in this town. And I mean, you know, you're talking about uh, from a sports standpoint, I mean, you could go all the way back to, you know, Zippa Zeppa, and he worked with this guy when he came into town. Steve Fiziak, who was a big-time name in, in, in this city and went on to have a great play-by-play -play career. Ken Brew, who had a great career, and on and on and on and on. But over 40 years, George Vogel, who started all the way back at Channel 5 WLWT in 1980, just retired. And look at him. <laughs> Retirement's treating him well. Georgie, how are you, my friend? Nice to have you with us here on Off the Bench. Great to be with you. I'm doing great. You left out one name, Tom Brenneman I worked oh, with, the biggest name of all that oh, I've yeah. worked with. There, there's, there's no question about it. I was just waiting for you exactly. to say it, George. I put the ball on the tee for you. How you feeling? How you yes, doing? How's retirement? Uh, doing well. At first, it just felt like medical leave because I had neck fusion surgery in April. I'm doing well from that. Everything's progressing the way it's supposed to. Uh, still adjusting, though. It's really weird when you're used to from 2 o'clock in the afternoon till midnight having your brain engaged and constantly having to deal with some issue or come up with something. And now I'm just sitting around, you know, doing my thing, taking walks, looking at the river, looking at the sunset, looking at the skyline. 
Uh, it, it's quite an adjustment, but I'm getting there. I'll tell you this, the stress level, even though there should be no stress in the sports business, you know how it is with deadlines. Yeah. And that stress has gone from here somewhere down to the floor. Well, you know, you, 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 just, you, you just hit the, 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 the key word here, uh, George, for those of us. And look, there are a lot of different businesses out there that are under a quote-unquote deadline. Nothing is quite the same as a deadline if you work in television. Because, you know, look, I, I say all the time to people, you know, um, I respect the fact that people have a sales deadline, maybe by the end of the month, a quarterly deadline that they have to meet their expectations, appreciate all of that, respect it unbelievably. Um, but I try to put it into perspective that, you know, when you're sitting up there on the anchor seat or I'm sitting in a play-by-play -play seat or sitting there, you know, and, and a producer says in your ear while you're trying to talk, you've got to say yeah. A, B, C, and D in the next 14 seconds. That doesn't mean A, right. B, and C in the next 12. It doesn't mean A and B in the next 16. It means A, B, C, and D in the next 14. But there is an incredible right. adrenaline rush that comes with that. It, 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 do you find yourself missing that, or how are you able to tune, tune out from that world? That's funny that you say that, because that adrenaline rush, it was still there after all those years. Um, I would go walking in the studio, and you didn't know what was going to be happening. You, you had no idea. Generally, everything went fine, but... You know, the teleprompter can go down. Do I know what I'm talking about? Yes. You know, you're all these things can happen. Um, not a major deal, not a life and death thing, but there's still this adrenaline rush I would get pretty much every time walking in that studio. And I'd walk in that studio. Generally, we were in the early shows somewhere between four and, and six. Then we're in the six. Then we're in the seven. We got a 10 o'clock show on MeTV and an 11 o'clock show. So that's a lot of adrenaline running through your body every yeah. single day. And, and I do miss that. Um, I, and, and, and recovering from this surgery, you know, I get an adrenaline rush when I walk up to a tee box. Well, I can't do any of that stuff till mid-July. So right now I'm totally missing any kind of adrenaline rush. Uh, and, and it was a business that kept your mind engaged the whole time. Uh, there was always something changing. And in this world now, with, with Twitter and all that business, it's not unusual for three things to pop up between, you know, seven and 10 o'clock that, that come out on Twitter that, that you need to address. So uh, it, it was very busy. It was very constant, but I loved it. And I do miss uh, a lot of things about it. And that's one of them I miss. And a lot of people, unless you've been there like you have, probably wouldn't even think about getting that kind of an adrenaline rush when things you know, go off the tracks a little bit or just going into that studio and knowing the camera's on and, and anything can happen because it is live TV and there's nothing like an adrenaline rush when you're on live TV. And I, I loved it even more being out in the field because that's when things could really go sideways on you. Um, but it was so much fun and, and, and it was such a daily challenge. And that's what I'm having trouble adjusting to is not having that kind of thing and i'll find it and i may do something else down the road um i haven't ruled anything out i haven't ruled anything in um, i'm just going to take about three to six months to clear my head and see what i want to do next and hey maybe all i want to do is play with the grandkids and play golf i don't know but uh I i'm going to let that happen naturally and we'll see what's next
I want to go back, as I always like when we have these extended visits with guests that come on, and we thank you for your generous time here today. I always like uh, Casey McAllister, uh, one of our producers of the program here, grew up out in uh, Blanchester. And, uh, you know, he goes back and forth with a lot of his buddies uh, from Goshen that are here on the chat on a regular basis. You grew up in Georgetown, Ohio. Uh, And and back then, look, I mean, Georgetown is still the country. It ain't the country like it was when you were growing up. Uh, What was life like in Georgetown, Ohio, in the Vogel household? It was awesome. It was awesome. Okay, it was one thing that I thought was really cool about growing up there. It was a community that had doctors, lawyers, and you had, you know, guys who worked in factories, farmers, um, guys who drove the garbage truck. I went to school with kids from every walk of life. Everything you could think of was pretty much covered in, in my with my classmates. And it was just so cool. And we all got along. There was, I mean, it, it was a great place to grow up. And we had great battles with Blanchester and not whole baseball. They were a darn good program. And I remember when I was, I was young, this would have been elementary school. We had some epic battles for district championships with Blanchester back in the day. And they, they had some darn good baseball players and probably still do. But uh, growing up out there, it was funny because it, it was old school. You know, you, you watch Leave at the Beaver and that's kind of what it was. Kids riding bikes all over town, you know, walking to school with the books and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it, it really was, it, it was wonderful. Um, I was talking to, uh, I'll tell you who it is. It's Andrew Benintendi's grandfather. So Andrew's parents grew up in Georgetown. He plays for the White Sox now. And I was talking to the great Dr. Ben, I call him, Dr. Benintendi, uh, who was an OBGYN there. He's from Brooklyn, New York. And somehow he gets out of med school a buddy of his who graduated a year from him had a practice out in Georgetown. And he said, I need some help here if you can come to Georgetown, Ohio. This is back in the early to mid-60s. This guy goes from Brooklyn, New York to Georgetown, <laughs> Ohio, and never left. He loved it that much. Bought a big old farmhouse, didn't even have running water. And he just thought it was just a great place, as I described it, with all walks of life. And uh, the other thing about it is marginal athletes like myself got a chance to play all the way through high school if you wanted to you didn't have you know a thousand to thirteen hundred kids a class we had probably i think we started my senior year with somewhere around 199 i think 88 of us made it to graduation so that's that's how the (laughs) classes were out there um, you, you end up going, uh, to a small college, you then transfer over to the university of Cincinnati, you get out, um, and, and you get a chance to go to work right for channel five. There are a lot of people here in yep. town. Look, there's two or three generations of people here in town that don't remember, uh, zipper zipper. I, I mean, this guy yep. was, he was the most off the wall, zany character, the promos all over town. This guy even got national pub for some of the stuff he's doing. What do you remember about walking in the door, walking out of college? And, and correct me if I'm wrong. When you started there, he was still the, the, the main sports guy. Is oh, that right? Yeah. That's totally right. It was amazing. It was amazing. So Zip's probably, uh, and I don't know that I've told him this, he's probably as responsible as anybody for me loving the business the way I did because he had fun with it. I walk in the door and, you know, 
big smile on his face. He was welcoming. Great guy. Zip was a great self-promoter, but a great guy. And, and he's walking around the sports office, rubbing his hands. What can I whip up for the show today? And he kind of had the crazy side of it. He went for the entertainment value, still told you the sports. You knew what happened in town that day, sports. But he certainly brought a flair to it, an entertainment value to it. And he was very talented. I mean, this guy, he would write lead-ins. I don't know if he ever wrote full scripts ever for, for his voiceovers, his highlights, any of that stuff. Um, and then I, well, the beauty of my, my working there at that time and my internship was I saw that side of it. Then you had Bill Brown, who you know that did the yep. Astros games forever. This guy was buttoned down, timed his show to a tee. Zip had no idea how long his shows were going. None. He would go up those stairs, papers flying. It was like you see broadcast news. <laughs> Bill had his stuff buttoned down. So I got to see the, the side way over here and the side over here. And it was the greatest training ground I could have asked for. And I'm telling you, the one of the first days I worked, it may have been the first day I worked, was Zip. The Eagles had lost to the Raiders in the Super Bowl. And Zip had picked the Eagles to win. So he needed to eat crow. So he sends me down to that old Victoria station in, in Queensgate to get him a Cornish hen. And I got to paint that sucker black for him to put on the air that night <laughs> and eat crow. And I, you know, between that and seeing how the editing process worked and everything else, I just fell in love with it the first day I was there. And I'm just thinking, man, if you can do this on television and get paid and get the respect Zip got, I I'm all in on this stuff. It, it, it was remarkable. You know, and then then you start moving, and, and, and so much of I, I say all the time that you know, everybody has a story to tell, and and I I was listening to somebody on the radios and national show the other day, and 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 they were talking about how their father used to talk with them about baseball, and and would they tell the, the this kid who never saw sandy koufax pitch or frank robinson play the point i'm ultimately getting at is that there are going to be guys that we're going to talk about here in, in in this visit with you that you know like i said in zip's case in some other names i'm about to bring up they have no idea and so i hesitate sometimes to do this kind of thing because you know i mean i'm sitting in a room right here with a bunch of 20 something year olds and not only do they not remember zip they don't remember jerry springer they don't remember uh steve physioc they don't but 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 but, right. but for the older people a lot of whom watch this show they very much remember these people you know you you, you go from zip and you talked about bill brown you know and, and now you start moving into uh andy Furman. Because by the yeah. time that I got to Channel 5, right, when you and I were working together starting back in 1986, yeah. I mean, if Zip was a self-promoter and was way out there, Andy Furman took it to a whole new level. And to have totally. that guy running a sports department, right? I mean, running the department. He was the sports director. What was that like? Well, it, it, it was a lot of fun. As you well know, and, and you came when you had Furman and J.D. Hayworth in there at the same time. And that's about when you got there, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you overlap with J.D. at all? Yeah, of course. I was his weekend producer. Yeah. Was that nuts? That department, and, and it was so much fun. There was always something going on, and Furman and J.D. got into it sometimes in the office. 
and, and Furman would yell at him to take his blood pressure medicine. And all. Oh, it was so much fun. It was crazy. And the day Furman got hired, this is how nutty things were back then. Um, there was a guy, weekend guy, who I loved, Tom Verrato, yep. uh, who went back to New York, and he was Fizz's weekend guy. He's reading the Cincinnati Post, and Greg Paith had just written a column about Andy Furman coming to WLWT. Well, no one knew yet. Obviously, Furman got the job and told Paith, and he writes a story. Well, Verrato's reading the afternoon paper, and he's like, hey, Fizz, this says Andy Furman's going to be the new sports director at WLWT. You know anything about this? Well, Fiziok was sports director at the time. <laughs> That's how he found out. He grabs that paper and goes up to the GM's office. And you remember Tony the Tiger. The oh, GM. boy. He goes up there and they have a talk. And, Tony, and, and, you know, Tony's already blowing a gasket that this got out without him even being able to tell Fizz what the deal was. And Fizz stayed on as sports anchor, and he was going to be doing some Reds duty and stuff like that. So it worked out for everybody. But to find out that way is not the greatest thing. But stuff like that happened. I guess it still happens today. But that that was remarkable. And then Andy comes in with this total promoter attitude and looking for things that would grab people's attention. There's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, you had Fizz who was sports, 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 sports. I mean, he just, and then you had Andy and the, the hope was the dynamic would work out and it worked for a while. And then Andy kind of found his own niche, went into sales and then became a sports talk host. Steve Fiziox. Steve's another guy, uh, you know, uh, and um, um, he was in a position and all of us have been in the position where you're working with somebody and they've always got their eye on this other job. That doesn't make them a bad guy. I mean, they're grateful no. for the job. In Steve Fiziok's case, he did a great no. job and cared about the job and poured his heart into the job. But his, yeah. his real passion was in being a play-by-play guy. So he's doing the Reds games right. on television. Uh, and, you know, he's also, you know, uh, kind of clamped down in, in, in his view in some ways on this, this Monday through Friday anchor job. But he wants to go do the play-by-play. Um, you know, when you're the producer and you were the producer for the guy, you know, wh- yep. what's that like? Because all of us have been in that situation where we're working with somebody who, quite frankly, yeah, they're glad, they're, they're thankful, but they want to be doing something else. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you have to rein people in when you're in that position and keep them kind of. You try to keep them as focused as much as you can. And you know, and you're right. It doesn't make him bad. It doesn't mean he did a bad. He was wonderful. Yep. Nicest guy in the world. And and he did a pretty good job of keeping himself in check, I think. I think he did a good job. You know, he wanted to do the Reds thing. He wanted to do the play-by-play thing. And I got it. Look, we all would have loved to have done that. Um, there's no question about it. Um, so I understood it. But as the producer, you've got to keep, you know, your your job is to make that show the best you can and make sure the guy doing it is doing the show the best he can. And we never butted heads over it because when it came time to concentrate on the show, he would do that. He would take care of his business. Um, He probably wanted to put too much red stuff in, but back then maybe you couldn't because, you know, it was the reds and the Bengals and then everything else came down the road, came came in a distant third, I guess I should say. Um, But it it was... uh, 
it didn't make my job tough, but it made me concentrate on it more and be a little more aware of what needed to be done. Um, and, and you know what? That's what a producer has to do. I mean, that, that's that's your job and you accept that. And I was kind of learning on the go then too, because I've worked on the news assignment desk a couple of years, which is, you know, like being a dispatcher in the craziest market in the world. You're just constantly things going on and sending people to fires and car wrecks and news conferences and everything else. Uh, which was great training ground because when I got to producing sports, it was like, oh my God, it's almost quiet doing this compared mm -hmm. to another job. Um, but it is your job to keep things on track, make sure your talent is doing what they're supposed to do. And if if we ever had an issue where it's like, Steve, we got to get this done and we got it. He was totally accepting of that. He, as you know, you worked with him, just a prince of a man. Oh, yeah. And he made my job easy. I'll, I'll say that. When when it could have been tough and it could have been a whole different deal with him focused on something else, uh, he, he made it easy for me. I want to ask you about three more people, and, and then we'll move on to a few other things I'd like to get into with you today. Um, Ken Brew comes walking in the door, uh, and yep. I was there with you then. Now, all yep. of us have been around a work environment where um, you're used to, uh, you know, a certain style of management, for lack of a better term, right? And you've got right. Fiziok, and he's scattered everywhere, and you got Andy Furman, and he's sort of scattered everywhere. You're like the, you know, the voice of sanity in that room. Um, but then in walks Ken Brew, and, and, and we had seen Ken Brew and his incredible work in Tampa uh, for many, right. many years where the Red Spring training was. He comes into Cincinnati. Yep. When this guy walked in the room, it was a whole new game on when he walked in the door. Is that fair? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I, I remember the first day he walked in. And and in Ken's defense, we did have a bit of a romper room going on. Yes, we did. It. There's no doubt it about really it. Was. It was crazy. We had that Nerf hoop up and there were Nerf games going. I mean, it was it, it probably needed reined in a little. And Ken confided in me down the road. I believe the GM said, hey, look, someone's got to come in here and grab this thing by the throat because these guys are out of control. It's just a total playpen down there. <laughs> so Ken upped the ante, and boy, did he come in. He doesn't remember this. But I remember, so Bill Hemmer was with us back yep. then. He was there. Hemmer and I are sitting in the sports office, and Brew walks in and rips that nerve hoop off the off the wall and throws it in the garbage and said, these days are over, boys. <laughs> him or I are looking at each other. It's like, what do we do about this guy? Do we attack him now or do we wait and see what the heck this is all about? Oh, my God. He came in and was just trying to be this dominant force. And you weren't allowed to crack a smile in there for a while. And down the road, he and I talked about it and laughed about it. He's like, Oh, yeah, you know, the GM said, I got to get control of this thing. If I'm going to, you know, if I'm taking this job, I got to go down there and sit on these guys because they're having too much damn fun down there. Well, we may have been having too much fun, but we were still getting the job done pretty well, I thought. But maybe the GM thought differently. Obviously, he did because he brought in someone to put the hammer down. And, oh, my God, that was well, I mean, look, I, I, I was there when he looks at me, and uh, I was a weekend sports anchor at the time, and he looks at me, and, 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 you know, when you're the weekend sports anchor, you normally work 
Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we were doing a lot of high school football stuff back in those days. Yeah. You and me and Chris Collinsworth and a bunch of guys. And, and then uh, you'd work Saturday and Sunday. You'd be off Monday and Tuesday. And I remember like right. the second week Ken came in, he says, hey, I need you uh, out at the west side of town tomorrow morning. This is on a Sunday. He says, I need you uh, out on the west side of town at 6 o'clock in the morning tomorrow for this synchronized swimming story. Oh. And I look at him and I'm like, you're, you're kidding me, right? I'm like, I'm off tomorrow. And he's like, no, I'm not kidding you. And you're not off tomorrow. Uh, one of the most prolific synchronized swimming teams in the country is on the west side of town. And your ass will be there tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, man, where did all the fun go? Yeah, it, 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 it was like that. It was I remember um, whenever I had to go out on the story for him, it's like, you better bring back two packages or else. Yep. Well, sometimes yep. you'd go out there and you could barely get one out of this stuff. And it's like, where am I going to get two? Oh, my God. It, yeah, it was a total change of, of deal. Now, that synchronized swimming story was worth it. But you yes. shouldn't have had to do that turnaround. Well, that's all right. That's all right. You're young and you're trying to make your way. He taught me a lot about yeah, like recording and finding stories. And, you know, you go out thinking the story is going to be this way. Well, he always had this open mind with going out and seeing a story. And if he saw something that was more interesting than the reason you were out there, and that's how it should work. And and he taught me a lot about that. Um and, and uh, you know, I served two tours of duty with him because he yep. came back in the early 2000s. And uh, we had a ball. We had a ball, that sports rock show. You talk about a romper room. And this was – he's the ringleader of this thing, basically. And that show was a romper room on – we did everything on that show. Stuff I look back at now and I'm like, how did they let us put this stuff on television? I mean, I played a devil, and, and and I'm in this devil costume with flames all around me, you know, <laughs> saying hell every other word and ripping on people. Ken was a judge. We had Wayne Box Miller was a barber. We had all these characters. We had this guy from our promotions department. And also Andy Pierce played. They played like this, this total, for lack of a better term, just a flat-out hillbilly fan, you know, saying all this crazy stuff with a mullet and a – truckers had it. I mean we did you know, I cannot believe they let us put on the air um the two other people I wanted to ask you about uh Bill Hemmer you know yep. maybe more so than anybody else because Bill and I were roommates we were working there uh, I had started I, I'm a year older than Bill and I had started at Ohio I mean I had finished at Ohio University he was a senior at Miami of Ohio he was interning for us, and then he graduates. We hire him there at Channel 5. He and I are uh, living together uh, uh, out in Anderson. Then we moved uh, a little bit closer to, to Mount Adams over in Eden Park. And, you know, I mean, what an unbelievable dude. I, you know, I think back yeah. to that Bill Hemmer, and he's really not a hell of a lot different off the air now than he was back then. I mean, he's really not changed right. a lot. But, I mean, you know, right. when, you, when you sit there and watch that guy now, and I don't care what somebody's political affiliation is. It doesn't matter. I mean, this guy has reached the pinnacle of his profession. And, and it's mind-boggling that we were running around in blue jeans and tennis shoes with this guy uh, shooting Nerf basketballs against a wall. I, I got some stories about him when he was younger I could never tell. 
that were so funny, just pickles he got himself into by, you know, just carrying on like we all did, quite honestly. And I, I think that poor guy had the worst luck of any of us. It seemed like no matter what he did, he got caught. I don't know what it was. <laughs> he was always – and what a great guy. And so he he was interning with us, and he starts, you know, doing some stuff on that midday show and was yep. paid as a, a part-time producer. And then got the job at nine doing weekend sports and doing reporting over there and did very well. He had a talent to him right away. You could tell. Um, probably if, if Channel 5 had it to do over again, they would have run my butt off and put Bill in the chair. Um, but Bill also, you know, he had that job at nine, then decides out of the blue, yep. I'm going to take a trip around the world. I'm taking a year off. Yep. He's got a job that I, you know, growing up would have given my eye teeth for. And he says, I'm going to take a year off and travel around the world. And I'm making Bill. What I just want to do it. I traveled some when I was in college, and this is my chance to do it. I may never get the chance again. I thought he was nuts. He travels around the world, comes back, has all these stories about what he did, how he did it, taking trains through Vietnam, all this crazy stuff, and gets that job with CNN and just goes boom, boom, boom. And there he is doing the main morning show on CNN for a while, a long while in the nineties, and then gets that gig he has now. And I'll tell you what, he's very, very, very good. Very, very knowledgeable, uh, put in the work for it. Yep. Um, and I'll tell you, I, I, when you saw him on the air, you're like, he's talented, but knowing him, I'm like, if you would have told me that bill, when I first met him and we piled around and clowned around in the sports office, that this guy would be, a big-time anchor on a big-time news network, I would have just thought, come on. But he did it, and he did it right. Um, I give him all the credit in the world, and I, I I know you're proud of him. I'm proud of him. I think everyone who knows him and knew him and, and, and what he did and how he got there has to be proud of that guy. I mean, what a tremendous man. And you can talk to him today like you yep. said, and it's like time stood still. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. All right, the last guy I want to ask you about, and, and obviously just recently passed, because for those of us that were there, you were there, I was there, Hammer was there, you know, when they brought Jerry Springer in there, yeah. um, you know, everybody knew, mayor of Cincinnati, everybody knew about the check thing with the prostitute, everybody knew all of these things. And, and, yeah. and they knew his personality, a larger-than-life sort of personality. But I don't think anybody around there really knew him, except for the guy that hired him, the general manager, Tony Kiernan. Um, right. You know, w w when he got in there, and George, you know, you tell me. You remember it like it was yesterday. I, I do, too, in many ways. Uh, but you were there the first day he was there. I came in about a, a year or two later. Uh, you talk about a guy – and all of us are imperfect human beings. There is no question about that. And if people want to pick apart right. the imperfections of, of others, then look, go ahead and try to be judge and jury. You're not. But, yeah. you know, there are people you have a chance to, to work with in your life and be around in your life. And, and that guy was an amazing guy to be around every day. No doubt. No doubt. I, 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 you, you talked about all the young guys in that newsroom then. Um, 
Jerry was like the newsroom dad. And I, I did not, I, I knew what an impact he had. I knew how much I liked the guy. And I was supposed to see him at an event this summer. And he came into the station about four months ago, three months ago. And it was in the morning. I missed him. And I'm like, daggone it. I haven't seen Jerry in a while. I would have loved to just seen him. But I'll see him this summer. And then, you know, he passes away, has that pancreatic cancer. And it happened quick. And, you know, they, they talked to me about it the day he passed away. They did these obit pieces. And I probably didn't even realize the impact that guy had on me till that happened. And I'm sitting at six o'clock watching these stories. I just start bawling like a baby. I'm like, oh my God, it's Jerry. And I think of what he meant to me. And to all of us in that newsroom, like I, he was our TV dad in that newsroom. There were a bunch of guys your age, my age, you know, 20s, early 30s. And he was like, he was the guy. You had an issue, you had something going on. He, he loved everybody. He came in, did his commentaries first. They just had him do commentaries. Then they had him do like the 530 show or something, anchoring. And pretty soon you realize this guy is going to take this thing over. And he did. And he was great to everybody. Didn't matter if you were, you know, what was I? I was a sports producer. I may have been working on the assignment desk when he came in. He treated me the same as he treated the GM. Yep. Yep. He would talk to you. He would have conversations. He would ask how, as John London said so well, he made everybody feel who he talked to like they were the most important person in the world yes, at that did. time. And he took the time to know people. And, of course, he always came and hung out in the sports department. He loved baseball, loved the Yankees. And he would come, and, and we got to know him very well because of that because he would always come down. He was great about telling us the newsroom gossip, too. Uh, he was he was tremendous. He and how he came up with that commentary, five days a week, you know, fifty two weeks a year basically. And I don't know if you remember when he'd have that big yellow legal pad and you could smoke in the newsroom back yep. then. And yep. he'd be smoking a cigar in that hallway that circled the newsroom in the yep. old building. He'd be pacing around with that pad, scribbling stuff, puffing on that cigar. Ah. Oh. God, I, the stories go on forever. Money time. I don't. Were you ever there for money time? Oh yeah, oh yeah. He would ricochet romance on the the PA system, and then yell, "It's money time!" and go in and jump on the desk. And he said he would give out like seventy, seventy-five bucks a shot, throwing money out of his pockets to the producers and reporters and us guys in sports. People would be diving under desks, grabbing dollar bills, quarters, whatever he threw, and. It would. It, he pretty much did that almost every Friday night. You knew somewhere in the evening it was going to be money time. And oh my God, he he knew how to make in team building and making everybody feel a part of it. Uh, he, he was just tremendous. I, I I know people think, oh, the show it was trash TV, and Jerry I think had a conundrum with that. I think he was torn by that because yep. he wanted to make a difference he wanted to make a positive difference and that's why he he explored a run for it was governor or senate in ohio yep. and it just wasn't going to get off the ground because of what how people perceived him because of that show um and i remember i wish i'd kept this memo tom when when they came up with his original show it's going to be a straight news talk show yep. 
with and and I had this memo and it's like it's not going to be like those other shows blah 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 well they do it for two or three months they're not getting the numbers they want and so they bring in this producer from one of the trash shows and boy it was on after that yeah. and it took off like a rocket ship I mean no sooner did they do that they got to take the show to Chicago uh it, it was it was an unbelievable story and he was just an unbelievable guy you know, you're down there with all these people I've asked about, uh, the Bill Hemmers and the, the Springers on the news side and Physioc and Andy Furman and Ken Brew and all these guys. And, and so what happens is when you show up for work every day, you know, people look at you as having a certain job. That's your job, okay? People looked at you as though you were the sports producer, the lead sports producer for whoever the Monday through Friday anchor is. How did you get to the point where you wound up on the air? Well, <laughs> I'll just tell you the whole story. So I'm sitting there looking at me as a sports producer, right? And I'm like, I, there's a ceiling of what money you're going to make. I got a wife, just had a second kid. I'm like, I got to up the ante here, you know. I got to figure this out. So I go up to our buddy Tony Kiernan, God bless him. Yep. And if you remember, out in the parking lot, I always noticed the salespeople drove the darn BMWs and the Mercedes. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's something I can do. So I go up to Tony Kiernan, and, and I I looked at some other jobs, interviewed for other jobs, almost went into insurance. And uh, I told Tony this. I go, look, I owe you because you've been good to me. So I just want to let you know, probably in three months, I'll be gone. I'm going to take another job. And, he, and we talk about what the issue is. And he goes, I'll tell you what, do me a tape. I want you to do some high school football stuff. And if I don't like that tape, I'll get you a job in the sales department. So it's like, I got nothing to lose. So I do it. And I think the tape sucks. Me and Robbie Reichley went out and did it. And I'm like, yeah, this sucks enough that I'll be in sales. Kiernan thought he could make a TV person out of everyone, right? And he did it. It's track record, Pat Berry, Jerry. I mean, you know, uh, we had Noel, the guy who had worked at City Hall. was. Oh, we lost him. A TV guy. Uh, Tony thought he could make anybody a TV person. So he goes, I like this tape. You're going to report on high school football. So that's when we started doing those little head-to-head -head reports. Yep. And we did those high school football specials. So I got into it like that. Then uh, you end up leaving. So I start doing the weekends in the interim till they find someone. And you know, I, you probably don't remember, but you left probably right around the end of the year. Yeah. Like early January into December. Well, I'm out golfing one day. It was a beautiful day in February, believe it or not, in Cincinnati. I come home from golfing and Mike Hevel, the news director, called me like six times. And my wife's like, Hevel keeps calling. You got to call him. Well, Brew took a job at 12, like two months after you leave. I'm the only guy left in the sports department that's ever been on the air. So I work like 79 out of 80 days. And that gave me a lot of good reps and stuff. And then they brought in Greg Horde to do the weekdays. I did the weekends, and it gave me so much experience then. I was like force-fed. I mean, it was like, do this or you don't survive. And that's what it was. And 
I got all those reps, anchoring, report, everything. I had to do everything on the air that we did in sports. Um, and, and we did bring in, we had some guest anchors one week, and the last one was Pete Rose. That was fun. Um, but, yeah, that, that's how it happened. And I got all those reps. It worked out. They liked what they saw. A new news director comes in. For some reason, he loved me, and they kept me around. I mean, I probably almost got fired six times, Tom, and and it probably should have been 12, but somehow I survived and I was there, you know, 40 years, on the air 30-some. You know, you, 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 you watched George because you were there in the seat. You know, for people that don't know, when you're sitting there in a newsroom and you'll have the producer of the uh, nightly news, let's just say the, the 6 to 6.30 news, let's pick that one, okay, or 11 to 11.30, where it's a 30-minute deal. And they'll say to you, okay, sports, you guys have four minutes. You guys have three minutes. You guys have two and a half minutes. It's a heavy news day, all that kind of thing. Um, a lot of people still very much watch local news. For those that yeah. say local news is dead, they're out of their mind. They're not paying attention. There are a lot of people that watch it, and a lot of people watched you in Channel 5 because, by and large, you know, back to the Springer days, a little bit of a lull, then you and Mike and Cherie and everybody, you guys, the king in the market. Um, but, 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 you know, to, to be in that role and see how television sports on local news has changed. How has it changed? Well, a lot of it has changed because back when I started, people didn't have access to all these scores and, and you know, even the out-of-town scores, the NBA playoff scores, they didn't have access to that right away. They might be able to hear it on the radio. If they didn't hear it there, they had to get it off the local news. So we did a lot more national stuff back then. Um, you know, we did more NBA playoff stuff or NHL Stanley Cup finals and things like that. Now it's just more localized. Like, where are you going to get the high school stuff? Where are you going to get the stuff on some of these, uh, well, even the college teams for that matter? I mean, you know, ESPN doesn't run uh, UC and Xavier news every night. They just don't. Now, people can get that off Twitter, and this is where – this is where I feel all of us are struggling in that business right now. It's like a lot of people who are in tune with Twitter 24 seven, it's kind of younger generation. So I still think there's a big market. Um, and it may not be, if you notice sometimes in local news, the advertising's geared to older people now, because I think older people don't look at their phone all day and all that. And it, but, but, but the biggest change was localizing it. It's like, what can't they get from the ESPN website, you know, the Fox Sports website, the CBS Sports website? What can't they get there? And it's what we have here inside this, you know, greater Cincinnati area. And we always concentrated on that a lot, but it's even more so now. It's like, we don't even, you know, if it's not a Cincinnati team involved in it, we probably don't touch it. Um, lastly, what leads you ultimately, because a lot of people struggle with this, uh, this decision, you talked earlier about the adrenaline and all that kind yeah. of thing. And most of the time, when you talk to people, young people are coming up to you, like the guys I'm working with here, you know, they're getting their careers going. Okay. But there yeah. are a lot of people out there that are saying, Man, I'm getting near the end, but gosh, you know, if I can make one more year of that kind of money or two more years of that, and every everybody's situation is different from a fiscal standpoint, I get it. But 
ultimately, you know, if you're in a position where you can say, okay, yeah, I could use the extra year of money, or maybe it's, it's not as important as I think. Was there a moment you're sitting in the studio, you're sitting in the sports office, you're sitting at home, you're doing, you're, you're out having a beer, you're doing whatever you're doing, where all of a sudden you just say, you know what, I, I think I'm done. Yeah, it's um, so I um, I was thinking about it anyway, but not not intently. And then so UC goes to the college football playoff. Um, I leave on a Monday morning, and while I'm on that jet flying down to Dallas, my second grand, my grandson was born. So my second grandchild was born. Then the next day, my wife's father passes away. And I'm in Dallas when this is going on. And I'm thinking about all these things like I should be there. I should, you know, I call my wife. She's like, nothing's going to happen. Stay out there. We're not doing anything till next week anyway. There's not a thing you can do here. I'm going to be fine. Um, which was wonderful of her. Uh, she was going to come down and join me, but then she didn't, you know, obviously, because. And so you start thinking that. Then I'm at the Super Bowl, and I'm just thinking all those thoughts are coming in, like I'm missing this stuff, and I've done this a long time. Um, probably time for someone else to take over, and I take care of a little more of what I should be taking care of and have the freedom to do that because these jobs do lock you in a little. And I, I don't I don't regret anything about that. It was a great career. I loved it. But stuff starts weighing on you a little more the older you get. And you start thinking, you know, not to be morbid about it, but how much time do I yeah, have? Sure. How much am I going to be around my kids? How much am I going to be around my grandkids? If I keep doing all this stuff and if I keep working five, six days a week, if I keep going out of town, for big events. And after the Bengals lost that Super Bowl in Los Angeles, I sat down on this light box on this NBC platform where we were doing live shots from. And it just kind of hit me. I'm like, if this is the last big event I ever cover, am I cool with it? Can I walk away? And I'm like, yeah, I can. So right after that, I started thinking, because originally I thought I'd go to I'm 67 plus 70. You know, I felt good, everything. And, and then like, a couple of health things hit like this neck surgery and other things. It's like, you know what? I better go smell some roses now instead of waiting. And it, it was, it, it was weird because I went from, you know, a year and a half to two years ago, not even entering my mind that I would retire. And then boom, it's just like a, a, a storm front moving in. And you're like, I got to do something about this. And, and people know when they know, and I was at peace with it. I miss the people on a daily basis dearly. I miss being in a newsroom. You know, something happens or you think of something funny, you go tell one of your buddies. There's always somebody in a newsroom you can tell a good joke or say, hey, so-and-so just did this. I miss those things, you know, and you, and you miss the adrenaline. You miss the buzz. There's a buzz in the newsroom, especially when stuff is going on, just like there's a buzz in a sports department when things are going on, news breaks, and you're dealing with that. So I do miss that, but it was time. It was just time. And I, I think, quite honestly, because of this stupid surgery, I probably should have done it six months earlier. But again, I don't regret anything. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. And like I said, after clearing my head, who knows what's next? 
Well, George, you know, I was thinking about this last night, uh, knowing that you were coming on today, and I, I and I tried to think back, and I know I'm forgetting somebody, but but I mean, it, it's not like this is a a seven or eight person deep list, because uh, it's not. But you know, there are only two people I think I've ever met in my life where I never heard anybody, not one person who had been around them or met them or spent time with them that ever said a bad word about him. One of them was a legendary baseball general manager, a guy named Roland Heeman, who I had a chance to spend a lot of time around out in Arizona. Uh, that's where he wound up finishing his incredible career, God rest his soul. And the other one right here in Cincinnati, uh, in Joe Nuxall. And the third yeah. guy uh, that, 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 that I, I never heard anybody say anything bad about is George Vogel. And I'm not so sure a man or woman uh, can can – can have any greater compliment than that said yeah, about them. It. And, and, and George, I, I love you from the bottom of my heart. I, I've known you for a long, long time. You are just a, a fabulously talented guy, but more importantly, just one awesome guy. And, and we're so happy for you and thrilled for you. And congratulations on retirement. And, um, you know, we, we wish you nothing but the very, very best. Well, Tom, I appreciate you saying that, that, you're going to make me tear up here, but I feel the same way about you. And we, we've had it. It's, I remember you coming in out of Ohio university and it's like, my God, I thought, all right, this is Marty's son. He's going to think he owns a place. Nope. You didn't do it that way. You worked, you, you started ground up and you were willing to learn it. I'll be darned the first time you did something on the air. I'm just like, I'll be dipped. This dude's got it. And you did. And you, you know, I wish nothing but the best. And I was out in your neck of the woods yesterday. I was at uh, Milford having lunch with a friend of mine who, by the way, saw you at the UDF in Terrace Park, but he was afraid to say hello. And he's worked <laughs> in the business, too. I told him, no, you can say, hey, Tom, you know, he'll, he'll be fine. You said hello to him and asked him how it's going. And he's like, I was going to introduce myself. I'm like, yes, you're fine talking to Tom. Tom's good people. Um, but it's just... Um, you, you did it the right way, and, and I wish nothing but the best for you. And myself, the guy I was talking to who saw you in UDF, everybody else I talked to says, you should be back doing these games and, and doing the things that, that you're very, very good at, and people love to hear you doing. And, and, and I hope that happens. I hope that happens. Well, we'll find out about that. But we know that you're happening. And get that neck well, my friend. And God bless you, brother. Thanks for the you time today, George. Yeah, Great seeing you. For me. I talked to him a couple weeks ago. He's as ornery as ever. Trust oh, me. Don't remind me. Don't <laughs> remind me. All right, Georgie. Thanks for the time, man. All the oh, best. Thank you. Anytime, brother. Have All a right. good one. Lonesome George. The, the, the nickname he was given by uh, Ken Brew. Lonesome George Vogel. What a dude. I mean, if you just can't tell right there from that interview, it, I'm not kidding. I was saying I thought long and hard about it. He's one of three people I've met in my life that I've never heard anybody ever say one bad thing about. Not one time. Not one. Is there any greater compliment than that? Ham and Eggers, we still got Tracer coming up. We want to hit a couple of topics before Tracy Jones comes on. Mr. President. Back soon. Take it away, boys. It's that <laughs> time like of that the show, <laughs> the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments.
All right. Well, we heard George Vogel. He was talking a little bit about the Bengals there. He was talking about covering the Super Bowl and everything else. So let's go with the Bengals report today. And it's brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides... They provide IT solutions, Casey, for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. That's right, Casey. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. We also have Pawnee Water. I, I got to get some more Pawnee Water out of Pawnee Water, so I got to get some more. It's my I, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I actually found some Pawnee water at my local gas station. Went in, bought some, took a picture of it. I saw that. You have the picture? I don't have it on here. I could maybe pull it up nah, here in a right. second. But well, if you had, I didn't know if you if you had it ready to go. I didn't know if that was a tease. Nope, not a tease. Well, you can buy Pawnee water as Casey did at a lot of local gas stations. If you find Pawnee water, you buy some Pawnee water. Tweet us a picture of you buying the Pawnee water. Because it's made right here in Hamilton. It's right across the street. If you knew where our office was, Pawnee, it's right across the street from us. Uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at PawneeWater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I niwater.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Drink Pawnee water, get your coffee from UDF, bet with Betfred, and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. Look at Casey. Here you go. Fire it up there. Here's your Pawnee water. Yeah, that's all we're asking. Send us a picture like that. Picture with the bottle. I tried to get it inside the fridge there too. Where was that, Casey? Um, Ohm Oil. Down by uh, Old Mason. Mason. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we, we would appreciate it if you guys uh, sent us lots of them because um, it's just cool to see. And it, it helps out Pawnee a lot. So, anyways, Paul. Yes, Casey. You know, we gave out uh, some, some bets yesterday. And uh, they pretty much all hit. Yeah, they pretty much all hit. I'm I'm kind of sad that we didn't uh, put down some serious money on that because I mean we were on it, spot on. Pretty much we everything. Didn't, we didn't hit. even really give reasons. We just you know said it at the very end of box lunch yesterday. We hadn't done that in a while, and you know what? You would have made some serious money yesterday. I mean, if you parlayed all of it together. Yeah, four picks. They all hit. They all hit. The Heat. Heat won outright. The over hit in that game. Yep. Jimmy Butler and Jalen Brown both went over their point total. You only get the best advice yeah. from us. Well, you get advice. Job. Sometimes it's the best. Sometimes it's not. But you get advice either way. And speaking of. So did you come over here and unplug my computer? Yes. I thought you did. I just wanted to make sure. Okay. All right. Um... All right, I want to ask you guys about a couple of other things here real quick. Is Casey, can you pull up uh, yesterday, we were going to get to some Joe Burrow comments. Do we still have those available? Yeah, we do. We do. Okay, we, we didn't get to these yesterday. Uh, the Bengals, you know, almost the entire roster is in town. 
Uh, and they're going through, you know, some light workout stuff. It's a voluntary thing. You don't have to be here. We talked about some of the guys that are not here. A couple of them are given uh, exemptions because uh, getting back from ACL major surgery, surgery Awuzier, uh, along with Lyle Collins. Uh, we talked about Jonah Williams not being here. But, of course, the single biggest story that continues to, to really um, be on the forefront uh, would be Joe Burrow. Uh, and, you know, is the team going to get him signed to a long-term deal? There have been some great stories that have been written about Burrow and how, um, not to say that others where money is the most important thing, but it's become quite clear uh, that, you know, Burrow's all about winning. And I'm sure every quarterback's all I mean, there's no doubt Mahomes is all about winning, and there are others besides Mahomes. Uh, but, but Burrow... It's not going to be a hometown discount, but the structuring of it might indeed be a hometown discount. We'll see how it plays out. He was asked about his contract. Are the negotiations going on? He was asked about it two days ago. Here's what he said. Also, there's a lot of chatter about kind of your contract situation as you're up for extension. How involved are you with kind of those talks and giving input? And is there a timeline in which you'd like to see that potentially done by? Yeah, we're, you know, I'm involved. That's, you know, it's in the works. That's, uh, not really something that I like to play out in, in, in the media. That's something just the way I think they want to do business. I want to do business. We prefer to keep that between us. On that note, is there something that matters to you most with that? Because like, there's a million different ways that these things can be sliced. Is there something that is the main thing that you want that matters to you with this deal? I think there's a lot of different ways it could work out. We'll see, we'll see how it plays out. How cognizant are you? You know, there's obviously a lot of you guys in your draft class tomorrow's going to be up next year. As you're going through these and kind of giving input, how cognizant are you of being able to kind of keep the core together and being able to allocate that? Um, how much does that make top of mind, if any, as you go through this? Yeah, it's definitely, you know, whenever you have guys on the team that, that need to be paid, that's always on your mind. You want that to, to be a focal point, and so we're, we're working to, to make that happen. Being tied with Josh, do you, have you talked to him at all, knowing that he went through the contract stuff and all that as he kind of went through that offseason? How much do you pick his brain about kind of how that was like and what he was like during the process? No, I haven't, haven't really talked to him about it. I'm, you know, I'm pretty clear on, on what I want and, and in the contract and, and what you know, I think is best for, for myself and the team. And so, you know, we're, we're on the road to making that happen. Is, is having kind of the way that, that T and Jamar came up big in that AFC title game when you needed them, is that an example of kind of why you kind of keep maybe those guys top of mind as you go through all this? Yeah, you got to have good players. You know, you can't. You see, I mean, it doesn't matter how good, good your quarterback is. If you don't have good players around him, you're not going to be a very good team. All right, so those were the comments uh, dealing directly about his contract. And, and look, he, he's not telling you anything there. I mean, he's giving you a little bit of slight little crack, opening the window insight about other players and relationships and all that kind of thing. But, you know, Burroughs are pretty close to the best guy. This town has not, not gotten to know him in any form or fashion. You might see him on commercials and all that kind of thing. But, but, but nobody can say in this town they know Joe Burrow. Do I think his teammates know him? There's no doubt in my mind. He's a great teammate. But I, wouldn't you say that's fair to say? He reminds me a lot of ways through his first three, four years in a league now. He reminds me a lot of Votto in that regard. He is very tight, closed, close to the vest kind of a thing. Right? Not one of these guys that you're, you feel like is warm and fuzzy. That's not a knock in any way. I just think that that's who he is and that's his personality. You agree? Uh, maybe in terms of the media, but, I mean, 
when it comes to his teammates, um, I think he's very, very out. Uh, I shouldn't say out engaged. There. Very engaged. Well, he, Votto's he, the same way. Teammates love him. Feel like they get to know him. But it, it, but 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 so far, I don't know if there's anybody that can honestly say outside of his teammates that at least for his first three years living here feels like you really know him. You agree with that? Yeah, no. Yeah, he just he prefers to keep everything close. Doesn't talk much to the media. Well, he does. Well, he fulfills his obligations, but he's he's not somebody that's going to go out be on a million podcasts. He's going to grow his brand. He's not going to do the Travis Kelsey thing with his brother. Where you know, I, I don't even know. Does he even have a brother? I'm just saying. Isn't he an only? No, it's it's Travis Kelsey and uh, no, no, no. I'm talking about Joe Burrow. Oh no, Joe does not. Yeah, have yeah, him. yeah. No, so I'm him. I'm saying I'm saying you know he's not gonna go create the the podcast that the Kelsey brothers do or anything like that. Joe's gonna be somebody who goes out there, does his work, fulfills his obligation to the media, checks, checks the, the box, box, and just keeps on moving. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, the only media that I see him do that's outside of just the local media the 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 pressers here is with colin coward and that even that is very like he, he doesn't really get into yeah e even that it's almost like he's doing it just because he feels like he has to do it and he does okay it doesn't seem like it's a total obligation yeah, Whoa. he doesn't reveal much of his character, I would say, in, in that. He more just answers questions that are like, you know, how are you feeling after that game? What what can we do to improve? And, you know, just the same sort of presser conversation. There's other unique questions that are asked. But, yeah, I mean, I can, I can see where you're coming from, though, Tom, where he might seem, like, reserved or well, very and modest. And I just think that's his personality. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, that's his personality. That, again, that's not an. I don't want anybody to 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 perceive that 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 I'm 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 knocking the guy. And everybody is raised in a different way, and your personality is what you are. And I think that's just who he is. He's an unassuming. He likes being a little flashy when it comes to the clothes and the, you know, the chains and all that kind. Of, I mean, you know, maybe that's the way he just kind of lets it out. And you see that kind of side of him and that kind of thing. Votto would have never done such a thing uh, in his first three or four years in the league. He does it now, but he's been around for 20 years. Um, but, yeah, Joe Cool, every, very cool, very calculating with everything he's going to say, not in a malicious way, but just, in the, just making sure everybody understands, okay, I, you know, th this is what I'm thinking, but this is not the entire story. Okay, then there was – uh, questions. There were questions that were raised about the offseason of the Bengals, uh, how he interprets what they've done in the draft, what they've done in free agency, and then a question at the end from our friend James Rapine about Jonah Williams. Did the Orlando Brown signing, were you surprised that Bengals made such a splash on the offensive line after spending so much last year? Yeah, it was exciting. You know, he's been everything you could, you could hope for so far. He's a uh, a, a great locker room guy, big, strong, athletic. Um, th things are going great. Love, love that guy. So I'm excited to get out there and play with him. What can Irv Smith bring to the table this year? You know, Irv's, Irv's, first of all, he's upstairs all day, every day, learning the offense, watching tape with, with, with James. And so that's exciting to hear. Um, and he's looking smooth, big, strong, athletic, smooth hands. So we're excited to have that guy. 
What did you think when they added Charlie Jones and uh, Chase Brown? How, how have they kind of looked in practice so far? Yeah, I, th I think I thought all the the guys we've signed on offense that are rookies have have looked really good so far. Uh, there haven't really been any major busts as far as running the wrong route or anything like that. Um, and so that's the first step, learn the offense. And then, you know, as they start to do that, they're going to start to play faster and more, more sure of themselves. But they've looked very smooth so far, catching the ball, running the ball, have a good feel for it. Obviously, the Orlando Brown signing was exciting, like you mentioned, but it meant a position change potentially for Jonah Williams. I'm sure you've talked to him. What are those conversations been like? And yeah, you know, we love Jonah. Jonah's been a big part of our success for the last couple of years. And so, you know, hopefully we, we have him back. But, you know, business is business. And, you know, whatever Jonah thinks is best for his career is what, what he's going to do. And we'll, we'll support him in, in whatever he decides. So those are the comments made by Joe. Bur and again, uh, nothing earth shattering there. Uh, you know, he's seeing Irv Smith for the first time show up. Uh, obviously, the guy is, is working very hard to learn the offense. Look, even if it's for selfish reasons, I got no problem with Irv Smith wanting to go out there and put up the biggest numbers on the planet, right? right. It's a one-year deal. This guy's a young guy. I think he's only, what, 25, 26 years old, Smith, right? Yeah, he, he's, I think he's 25. Yeah, so, I mean, he's got a full good Lord willing. He's healthy. He's got a full career ahead of him. So, you know, a lot of people around these parts, they got all upset when Tommy Pham last year on the Reds came out and said, I'm all about putting up numbers. What's wrong with that? Smith hasn't said that. If he did, wouldn't bother me one bit. Long as he's part of the team and long as he's doing the other things that they're asking him to do, uh, whether in, in Smith's case, it's going out there blocking, uh, pass protecting, um, you know, running routes where he knows he's not getting the football but still selling the route as though he might be the primary target. All the things that would make him a great teammate. If he came out and said, I want to catch 75 balls for 1,050 yards, no problem. Go get him, big boy. You know what I mean? Right. I'm all about, I'm all about players trying to reach a, a number total or a catch total or, you know, something that will – not only just help their career and, you know, putting up numbers, but it's going to help the team regardless, right? If Jamar Chase wants to try to break the all-time catch record for the Bengals, I'm all about that because I know that's what's going to help them win in the long run, you know? If it, Irv Smith, not that he said anything, wants to put all of his time and effort in learning this offense and goes out there improves that he can play as our starting number one tight end and puts up a bunch of numbers, good for him. I'm happy for him because not only that, he's at that age where Bengals might go ahead and give him a contract. I don't know. You, you never know. You never uh, know. You never know. So you never I, know. I would be, uh, I'd be all about Irv Smith doing well this year. Eventually, the injury thing, like, ah. If we're going to stick on him for a little bit, Irv Smith's injury history is an issue, but I don't believe it's the same issue every time. It's just multiple different injuries. And those usually don't translate to long-term right. out-of-the-lineup issues, right? Guys like that keep tearing their ACLs, those are the guys that you worry about. Guys that keep dislocating their shoulders, those are the guys you worry about because it's a known 
continuous deterioration of that ligament sure. over time. You just know that it's not as healthy as other people. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all about Irv Smith. Um, Luke Brenneman jumped in the chat and points out something that I was going to bring up and then lost track of it. He points out Paul with the fresh cut. Yeah. Didn't go for the mullet. Went for a little shorter. We got, <laughs> we, got, we got a hot summer coming up, hopefully. Got to go a little shorter. I don't know. Tracy Jones has an opinion on it, but we know Tracy now, Jones. Now, I, I want to you know, get Tracy's opinion on this because um, now that you're engaged. Yeah. Tracy, how are you, my friend? Nice to see you. What's Good, story? Tommy. What, what do you got going there? Yeah, I, I don't even know. I just pulled this out. I haven't worn it yet. This is the first time wearing it. What does that say? Might, might have alcohol? What might is contain, that? Might contain alcohol. Might contain. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I mean, you bring the alcohol uh, here. Or maybe we provide the gas and you just like the match. I'm not quite sure how the whole thing ends up. But, Paul, we have documented with you in the past. Um, your now fiance's who cut your hair? Cousin. 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 Okay. So maybe you did that because you wanted to stay kind of in cahoots with your girlfriend at the time. Now that she's your fiance. Yeah. Okay. Do, do you feel obligated to have her continue to cut your hair or can you now kind of weed that out? Tracy, any thoughts on that? Looks like a damn skinhead with that haircut. Jeez. Come on, Polly. Really? Let me see. Let me see it again. Go a little shorter. See? A little, a little short. short. <laughs> you know, Casey has more hair on his face than you do on your head. Oh, that's true. Jeez. That's true. Hey, listen, I got to say something here because yep. it's been really bothering me. I've been thinking a lot about it. Okay. Paul, what's the deal? What, what kind of, uh, what's your game plan? What's your roadmap with your situation of being engaged and getting married? What is, what, what's the time horizon? Can you kind of walk me through it? Yeah, yeah. So it, it this is a passing of the torch moment, Trace, Tracy, from uh, Casey over here to me. So I'm, I'll I'll be taking notes here. I've already suggested the potluck. I've already I've already thrown that out there on the table. Get some get some things going. We haven't figured out the money situation yet, though. But on on a serious note, it'll, it'll be next summer, June or July. That's the only <laughs> time of the year really when it works out for the both of us. Because with her teaching, my broadcast schedule, everything else. You know, it just it has to be June or July next year. So we got some time, 13 months probably. Um, well, we can I give you some advice? <clears throat> yes. We really need to think this through, okay? Um, the chances of this is going to be your wife or it could be your ex-wife, right? It's 50-50. You have a lot of potential, sir. I've, I've watched when you filled in with, for Tom Brenneman. You know, you're kind of like an Elvis Presley back in 1954. I mean, you have that much potential. I picture you making $3 million as a broadcaster living in Terrace Park. I mean, you have that kind of ability. My point in saying all this, we need to have a prenuptial agreement, okay? We need to get this done. It's very, very important. Have you any thoughts on this? Have not considered it yet, Tracy. I was waiting for your opinion. I knew okay, you would have an what, opinion. Yeah. Here's what you do. Tell her that you're getting in business with me, Tracy okay. Jones. Okay? 
and that I am asking for you to sign a pre for her to sign a prenuptial agreement because like I said it's 50-50, right? We don't want her to come into my business start asking for office space and assistant. So let's have her sign the prenuptial agreement. Say you're going in business with Tracy Jones and uh, I think we can get this done. Don't you think, Tom? Tom, is that good advice? Well, you know, look, here's the thing, uh, Tracy, I understand, because I did not, you know, go the prenup route. Um, and, you know, I mean, shame on me, right? But, but here's the thing. Um, doesn't state law at the end of the day sort of win out on that? You know, every state's different, right? Or, yeah. or, or yeah. somewhat different. But, you know... Uh, no matter what Paul accumulates, uh, you know, whatever either partner accumulates in, in the marriage, um, it's, it's going to be a 50-50 deal at the end of the day, right? I don't think so, Tom. I actually had a post-nuptial agreement in Florida, uh, which was different. But that, honest to God, but it didn't post apply. I've never heard of a post-nuptial yes, agreement. You can have a post-nuptial agreement in Florida, in the state of Florida. But that was not binding in uh, Ohio. And needless to say, I was a brokey. You know, I had to move out of my house. I had child support, spousal support, payment on a big house. I lost half my retirement, lived in an apartment, and I drove a Hyundai. See? Talk about, talking about down. You, you know, but that's what I'm saying. I don't want to see her get half of your fortune. Okay, well, and so, we really need that prenuptial agreement. So, Tracy, I, I do appreciate that. But the more pressing issue, the more immediate issue here that we probably have to figure out in the next week or so is where we're doing this. We we started to look at, like, venues and stuff over the weekend the last couple of days. I was with her last night for a couple of hours talking about it at dinner. We're kind of starting from ground zero here and don't really know where to go or what to do. And... Uh, you know, don't know what the financial situation looks like either. So we're a little, any advice on a, on a venue location is really the only thing I'm looking at here this week. Well, I do have uh, an opinion on that. And Tom, I, I'm sure you've been, well, Tom, you haven't been there. The Bellevue Vet, I think is an appropriate place for you, both you guys actually, to have your potluck and have your reception there at the Bellevue Vet. What is I'm the sure. Bellevue vet, vet? What is you're right, I've never been there. What is the Bellevue You've never been Vet? There. No. <laughs> People who are watching this probably know exactly. It's right on Fairfield and it's a place where if you like a lot of smoke, people are smoking like crazy. <laughs> uh, 50 cent beers. It's very entertaining. A lot of people watching, but it's very inexpensive. Bellevue, kind of cool. the Bellevue Vets Club, it's called, right? Yeah, yes. Okay. Right is that vets like for uh, veterans of the military? Yes. What is, what is, okay. So a VFW kind of place, right? Exactly. And it's open okay. to the public. Okay. So, but it's very inexpensive. It's got a big hall and everything. You can, you can have the reception there. Um, no. Yeah. All right. I mean, I don't know why you're going through all the trouble doing that. I've already laid out the whole blueprint for you. You just got to follow <laughs> the exact same steps. It's true. <laughs> step for Hand step. the book over to me. Yep. Got it all planned out for you.
Well, I mean, you know, you look up, you look up some of the Google reviews here, you know, and it says uh, open to the public, cheap prices on drinks, generally relaxed atmosphere, atmosphere can't be matched, service is top notch, fun place, good people, and the barmaid is awesome. Come see Amber. That's on the Google. See, (laughs) it's kind of like the uh, the Norwood of Kentucky kind of that place. You know, if you've ever been to Norwood, you know exactly. Yes, I have been to Norwood many, many times. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so Paul, so that's a big topic where you're going to have it. Yeah. Tracy, on a serious note, where would you suggest he has it? I I just think it's such a waste of money. I really do. You're going to hear a lot of that. Well, you're going to hear a lot of that. I mean, I, I, I understand what you're saying. Who's paying for this, first of all? Is her family paying for this? We, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'll be over there for a, for a family party this weekend, and we'll probably, like, seriously actually talk about it. She lives on a farm. There is always doing that, too. Like, actually oh. doing that. I mean, there you go. There, There is that option, out, in, I, which would save money, but also, you know, you bring your own alcohol, your food, everything, and be, there is that. I mean, the biggest problem is just the venue price. So all the other stuff I feel like is manageable. Yeah. So there, there is, she, she lives on. When you say the country, a farm, how far away is that from where most of the people who would be coming to the wedding live? The the problem, the problem is all of my coastal elites that will be coming in from Virginia. That's the problem. (laughs) The elitists. The elitists that are coming in. That's the not because they would. Care what town is this in? The farm. Uh, well, it's not exactly, but Brookville is a. Is oh, a good, I know Brookville very, yeah. very. Oh well. yes, beautiful. Very town. nice. Right on the water. My mother-in-law is from there. Yeah. Born and raised there. Yeah. It's not that the people wouldn't like it. It's literally just the transportation issue of people that would fly in and then have to get all the way out there. And then where do they stay? And... Yeah, but they can stay in Batesville. They've got a couple of little hotels over there that are very nice. Brookville, the same kind of thing. Unless you're having some, you know, knockdown, drag out four or 500 people kind of no, deal. Probably like 250. 250 probably. You know what I'm thinking about, Tom? What are you is thinking? I'm actually thinking about some uh, getting a farm as well in the next year or so growing some corn maybe raising some pigs i'm thinking about blanchester mm-hmm. and i know casey we talked about this casey i know you're from blanchester and i apologize again you know by making fun of you because i know how you people are in blanchester if you want to hit on me you could do that in a heartbeat it's like the corleone family of being you know related to the mafia but i'm actually thinking about getting a farm and i think it would go great i think the farm thing's neat i think that would go over real well I do too. I think it's a great idea. I think a farm would yeah. be perfect. Yeah, but Tracy, you know, I got, I got to tell you, you know, uh, I, I mean, I consider myself to be an avid outdoorsman kind of guy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love the fire pits and I love, you know, having a mm-hmm. few beers with my buddies around the fire pit, yep. maybe light a cigar, whatever it might be. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I like being outside. I, I like exercising. I like the fresh air. I'm out with my dog. I mean, I could see a guy like me, for example, living on a farm. Um, you, on the other hand, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, you're very, you're, you're physically fit. You look great. You take care of yourself. But, but, but then I picture you, because in the last two episodes we've had you on here, 
you have referenced, correct me if I'm wrong, if I don't have this right, Nordies, right? Right. Meaning Nordstrom, right? Yes. Store? Okay. I Nordies, am. okay. And then you have, um, you have, uh, you, you've made a reference to, what was the other one? Um, I, I can't remember what it was, but the, the point I'm making in a very long-winded and, and terrible way is, you know, I, oh, uh, you talked about Whole Foods, going into Whole yes. Foods to get something. Okay, I just remembered that. I, I don't think there are a lot of Whole Foods and Nordies out in Blanchester. I could be mistaken. I've been there a while. You know, and this is a good point. It really isn't my idea. It's Danae's idea. Her favorite TV show, and she watches it all the time, reruns of Green Acres. And she really likes <laughs> Oliver Douglas. Remember Oliver Douglas? Oh, of course. She herself Lisa Douglas. She would dress in that sexy negligee. She oh, yeah. just thinks I would... It really turns her on to see those farmer boys. She likes that, that type. So it's really Danae's idea. She wants to get a farm and see how it goes. I don't think I fit in as far as being a farm guy. Uh, but... Whatever my wife wants, whatever she wants, she gets. But she loves Green Acres. That was a great show, by the way. It was a great show. Zsa Zsa Gabor, if I remember right. And yeah. Eddie Albert, right? Zsa oh, Zsa was yes. looking good back in the day. She's looking really good. Who, who's that J.O., the, the other guy that kind of helped around the farm? Who was that guy? What was his name? I don't know. What was that guy's name? I don't know. <laughs> You know, though, you got me to thinking here when you were just saying that about you around the farm. And have you ever owned a pair of overalls? Absolutely. Because, you know, I bring that up because there was a time now, and you and I are showing our age. There was a time uh, now, you know, when, when you and I were in our 20s, early 30s, you know, that kind of thing, where, you know, you'd go into some of the bars in and around town, wherever we were living. Where, where there would be, you know, some some women walking around in a pair of overalls, you know, in a T-shirt. Oh, you know, remember yeah. those days? That's a, good, that's a good look. And I used to go in there with my parachute pants. Remember parachute pants? My mullet. I was work, working a, a mullet. I remember those days. A lot of good memories, wasn't it, Tommy? <laughs> a lot of good memories. Yes, there was were. A horrible dress. Though. Yeah. yeah, you had those Zumbas. Isn't that what they were called? Those Zumba pants? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what they were? Thought, we call them parachute pants. I actually wore that to the waterfront. And and here's what's funny. I was even dressed like an idiot, kind of like how I dress now. And by the way, i got to put a shirt and tie on and go meet some people today, shave. But actually, I would pick those parachute pants and still pull some wool, if you can believe that, with that outfit. All right. Um, I want to ask you on a serious note. Paul, you have any other questions about Tracy? Anything with a wedding? We have lots of time. Oh, we got plenty of time. Up. Well, we can... A lot of planning. Yeah, we're good. But I, I think you ought to really start writing a few things down. Because by the time you got to Casey, it was too late. I know. Yeah, it was too late. Too late. Everything had already yeah, been Yeah, and, and just one thing, too, guys, if I can interrupt. Just one more point. We'll move on. I think these girls... And I did this with Danae. I think both these girls need a correction, just a slight correction, and to show them who's boss. And what I would do, and I did this with Danae, you guys need to send yourself some roses, okay? Make her a little jealous. Keep her on her toes, right? 
but set, make sure you're not in the apartment or the house, but have someone from a secret admirer and then just act totally clueless. This will bring that girl, your fiance's back in line. I wouldn't mind some flowers. <laughs> yeah, I, still, I still have not followed through on that advice. And maybe that. Casey, you're two weeks away. I know. It is wild. We've been doing this show for nine months and we've been listening to Tracy and you guys talk all about this. And we are less than it's two weeks a, away. It's been a journey. About two weeks. It has been a journey and, and we're getting close to the finish line. Next so we'll close, be talking Tracy. About, yeah, next we'll be talking about your divorce. Wife, <laughs> then, and ex-wife. Listen, listen, Casey, reach in your pocket and pull out a quarter and flip it. Remember, it's 50-50 chant. Well, man, you don't even have a quarter in your pocket. Flip, get that penny that you have in your pocket and flip that. 50-50, buddy. 50-50. All right. I want to get into something serious here for a couple of minutes because, you know, when you came to the big leagues, um, and for a lot of people don't remember, I don't know if I've ever brought this up on the show, but the, 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 the wave of players and talent that you came up with, yeah. with the Barry Larkins and the Paul O'Neills. O'Neill, by the way, is on the show tomorrow. Um, oh, good. Paul O'Neill and Barry Larkin and Cal Daniels and Chris Sabo and on and on and on and on. Eric Davis, uh, you were the number three hole hitter on those teams in your days well, in the I minor leagues. I didn't hear. What? What? Where did I hit? You the were the number coming? three hole hitter in those minor league lineups with all those guys either in front of you or behind you. I think the number three hitter is your best hitter in the lineup, right? Because Griffey hit third, Eric Davis, when I wasn't there, hit third. Yes, I yeah, that I forgot about that, Tom. Thanks for reminding me. No problem. I don't know if I've ever brought that up. Um, but back in those days, there was no such thing as interleague play. Uh, that was introduced sometime in the late 1990s, I believe, been going on 25, 26, seven years, whatever it is. Uh, and this weekend, front and center, the marquee fr uh, franchise in all of professional sports. I mean, they're bigger than the Cowboys in football. They're bigger than whoever in basketball or hockey. The New York Yankees are coming into town. Do you remember the first time you played against the New York Yankees? And was it different playing against the Yankees than somebody else? Whether they were good, bad, or somewhere in between didn't matter. Was it different? I think that's a great question, actually. It is different. New York is different. I mean, I didn't care if you played against the Mets or you played against the Yankees. It was just different being in that city. I, I got a little a little tight, <laughs> a little bit, because it was a big crowd and yep. just the great players that have played for the Yankees. But, yeah, what a stadium uh, and what a place to play. And, and you know, Paul O'Neill was great. You know, a lot of people thought that the Reds – got the best of that trade, right, for Roberto Kelly. Yep. Do you know that, actually, and ask Paul about this, there were, Jim Bowden brought in 10 of his scouts to give an opinion. <clears throat> who would he, Who would you rather have? Would you make a trade for Roberto Kelly, or would you keep Paul O'Neill? Every single one of them said they'd take Roberto Kelly, except for one guy who was asked. Do you know who that was? No. Ken Griffey Sr. Ken Griffey Sr. said he'd keep Paul O'Neill. And the rest is history. Ask Paulie about that. I think he, I will. he knows that story. I will. <clears throat> I'll definitely ask him about it. But, you know, there is something, or I'm asking you, I, I, I can relate to there is something different about going to New York. Because, you know, I think oftentimes we forget, Tracy, that 
for the overwhelming majority of guys that play Major League Baseball, you know, they go through the minor leagues. You go through the minor leagues, you never go to New York. Um, no. Most of the people that grow up in this country of ours never have been to New York City. I mean, like in the 90-something percentile, right? They've mm-hmm. never set foot in that city. Um, and, and man... You know, now they're coming here, uh, and the Mets have already been here, so the Reds will not go to New York this year. Um, but but it really is amazing how different it is when you go into that city for the very first time, even as a Major League Baseball player, where you got a bus <laughs> taking you to the stadium, you're flying in on a private plane, you got a bus taking you home from a stadium unless you want to take a cab or the subway or whatever it might be. And even that in and of itself, the subway is a whole different experience, right? But I mean, there is just something so different about playing there than anywhere else. Tommy, if I, if I could kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and be brutally honest here, I went to the ballpark and I went to my hotel room. I didn't do a single thing in New York. It kind of intimidated me a little yep. bit. Yeah. You know, there was, we stayed right at uh, the Grand, I think it was. Grand Hyatt. And right, across, right, Grand Hyatt. And right across the street was the Howard Johnson's. And that's where we'd eat breakfast. I got so disgusted that I had a continental breakfast that cost me $15. You know how cheap I am. It's like, I can't do this. It, it was just, it was a really strange experience just being in New York. And I grew up in Los Angeles, but. Los Angeles is nothing like that. No. Nothing like New York. The only city that I find it comparable to is maybe Sydney. In Sydney, Australia. I don't know if you've ever been there. Something like that. I hear like uh, places in China, maybe Shanghai, places like that. But New York's a really different place. So different than Philadelphia or Boston. Um, But it's a little intimidating. And when I throw this at you, Todd, did you ever get a little wound up being a broadcast, broadcasting a game in New York, was it a little different for you, or was it the same? No doubt about it, and uh, and I, I think you felt like you you you're in the biggest media market in the world, right, or in the country anyway. Uh, but I mean, it's the epicenter, and, and you know, back in those days, it, it's it's really no different than a player. You know, when you you're coming up, and all of a sudden you're facing <clears throat> fill in the blank of the two or three biggest names on the Yankees team. When you were going in there to broadcast the Reds and the Mets. Um, you know, they had Tim McCarver in the booth and Ralph Kiner in the booth. I mean, they had all these guys that are like these legendary guys in, in, in broadcast history that have been the voice of the Mets. And, you know, you wanted to go in there and you know, be looking good and bring in your A game. Like you said, the crowds, there's an edge yeah. to the whole town from a second yeah. you get off the bus or the plane that, that's indescribable. There's just a vibe. I mean, remember the dude? And it's been going on forever. Remember the dude who literally... In front of the Grand Hyatt, you'd get on the bus to go to the ballpark, and there was a men's clothing store across the street. You know where I'm going with this, right? Yes. Remember yes. the guy? Your bus would pull out, and everybody in the bus knew it was coming. A guy who worked in the men's clothing store would walk out the front door with hundreds of people walking by. He would pull down his pants, and he would flash his ass and give your bus the moon right in the middle of the city street every day. Crazy. Right? Crazy. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I remember that. That's just 
I mean, they do things like that in New York. You, you know what, Tom? Also, how about all the autograph seekers that wait outside the hotel? Yep, yep. I mean, that's kind of a crazy thing, dude. I never had experience like that. I mean, there were 20 or 30. And what's cool about people that go to these games in New York, they know who the players are, right? They know they know what you look like. They know your stats. They know you're from, uh, you know, California or whatever. It's just, it's a, it's a neat city to play in. If you can yeah. handle the pressure, I'm not sure I could have. So for the... So for when you played against him, though, and you hear the old adage all the time, don't get wrapped up uh, uh, about uh, the, the, the name on the back of a guy's jersey that you might right. be facing. Now, none of the, the big, big stallions. You're not seeing Garrett Cole or any of that. Uh, but if you're a young pitcher, and Lively is an older guy, but he, he's not had a lot of major league experience, they've got a young pitcher pitching on Saturday, they being the Reds, and then Hunter Green comes back Sunday. You know, Aaron Judge is stepping in the box, right? <laughs> I mean, did you ever kind of be like, whoa? You know, not – you know, I did that with the Oakland A's a little bit, if you want to get into being in awe of players. You know, okay. Ricky Henderson was just – he was – he really was some player. You oh, know, yeah. Canseco, a McGuire. I mean, when I saw those guys, I was like, oh, boy. The only place – the only team that – Really, when I was in awe of them as well, is playing against the Mets. When you had Doc Green, yep. when you had Darling, you had Sid Fernandez, Rick Aguilera, and Bob Ojeda. I mean, that was a pitching staff. And then they had a bunch of great players. And then they'd sell out Shea Stadium at 54,000 fans. And there is nothing. Well, that's not true. When Doc Gooden walk from the bullpen yep. and the fans start cheering. I mean, yep. there's an energy. I start getting goosebumps, just the energy in that ballpark. There's only one other ballpark that I experienced something like that. That was opening day when I was playing for the Tigers and we are playing against the Boston Red Sox and Roger Clements walked from the bullpen. And the fan, I'm telling you guys, that was a great experience. I, mean, I really do start getting goosebumps. You get fired up seeing something like that. And I didn't know, and I just hear the fans start cheering and, and making a bunch of noise. I go, what the hell's and here comes Roger walking from the from the bullpen. Super yeah. cool. Uh last thing I want to ask you about, we talked about this at the very outset of the show. Um, you played the game, right? You played the game. Um by major league teams. A lot of people get wrapped up, and they did yesterday when the Reds lineup was announced. And Matt McLean wasn't in the lineup. They're playing Kevin Newman. And I'm not knocking Newman, but he's not a part of the future of the team. There are other guys that are in the lineup, and a lot of fans are going, what in the hell is going on here? You got a chance to win a game in Denver, uh, win a series in Denver, finish a road trip at 4-2. Um, do, do you remember, whether it was Pete Rose or any of the number of managers that you played for, and you wanted to be in there every day, selfishly speaking. I get yeah. it. But do players, you know, sit next to each other, maybe the dude with the locker next to you and say, man, wonder what Skip's thinking about here today. <laughs> God, I got to watch what I say. I, I had one manager that I actually, I would see players in the lineup, and I turned to one guy and I said, is he trying? <laughs> I mean, it would be, and it wasn't a Sunday 
day game, dummy. It was like a Tuesday night, and it's like we already had a day off, and so and so's not playing, and this scrub who shouldn't he, he's should be the twenty eighth man on the roster shouldn't even be in the big leagues, and all of a sudden he's starting. And you do question that. Players second-guess the manager all the time sitting there on the bench. And I'll second-guess David Bell here because I think McLean plays every day until he drops. <laughs> That's right. I mean, he's up here to play. He's not going to play one day, then sit, play and sit. You got to play him every day, I think. Well, and they had an off day today. But, but, but what I was ultimately getting at is, is that, you know, if, you know, I heard a caller yesterday call into a local show and they're like, oh, well, no matter who the manager is, no matter what the team, the manager knows everything going on with the players and the team and the matchups and, and what's going on in the clubhouse. All those things may be true. They are true. But that doesn't mean that a head coach in whatever sport or a manager in this case in baseball can't be questioned about their starting lineup because players are doing it. Players do it. Broadcasters do it. I mean, that's the that's what's kind of neat about baseball, too, is yep. you can second-guess the manager. You know, why did you – handling a pitching staff, there's a lot of questions there. I'm not talking about David Bell, but I would say, don't bring that guy in. That guy gets hit. Don't, don't bring that guy in. You bring him in. And you question the manager. A lot of times, you know, the manager just goes by feels, too. You know, sometimes you give him too much credit as well. That's why it's so easy to manage in the American League – because you have the DH, or now you have the DH. But you just write out the lineup. You didn't have to make any moves. That's kind of an overrated job, I think, as a manager in the, in the old American League. Well, Don't there's, you? No, there, there's no doubt about it. No doubt. And Sparky Anderson had uh, as much experience as anybody. And then later, Tony LaRusso, when he left Oakland to come to St. Louis. Uh, and both of them said hundreds, if not thousands of times, that, you know, managing the American League uh, is a walk in the park. Continue. Uh, can, compared to the National League, where those were decisions that you have to make about whether they hit for a pitcher in the sixth inning and he's pitching good, blah, blah, blah. Yep. All right, my friend. Well, um, are you going down and, and, and watching the Yankees in town this weekend or no? You know, I might. I might make a trip down there. You know, I, I'm right on, right down the, you know, down the street from the ballpark. I need to – I would like to see the Yankees. I might stop in and say hi to Paul O'Neill. You know, we were roommates, so you make sure you ask him what kind of roommate I was. Do I don't want the to answer to that people. question? No, forget that. That was a horrible question. Don't ask. Don't, please don't ask him, in fact. Gentlemen, you want to say goodbye to Mr. Jones? Tracy, looking forward to talking to you on Tuesday. Yep. Have a great weekend. All right. See you, Tracy. All, All right, right Tracy. Have a, have a good weekend, weekend my weekend, friend. Boys. Take care of yourself. All right. Tracy I'll, Jones, twice I'll a week. Tuesdays and Thursdays, 1130A, right here on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. You know, you guys really should start paying attention to his advice. I don't think Casey did much. Paul, you, you're on a it, – it's a, it's a blank mural. It is. Right? All the information and, and the first little bit today. I know you're going to put that one off to the side. I will say, like, not to get too much into this because we have spent a lot of time talking about this, but I will say just, like, one quick note. Of all the venues that we've looked at, maybe knock on wood here a little bit, nobody's booked next June and July. In fact, it got so, I don't want to say, I don't know. It, last night I even, I looked at the calendar in Cincinnati to see if I was missing something. Like, are they hosting some big event or something? Where I mean, so that's, that's been good at least, but 
Yeah, Casey, we, we kind of hopped on your train a little late. Yeah, I mean, when we were looking, we, we had lots of venues just scheduled out. Yeah. Even into, like, you know, 2024 when we were looking. Really? So that's kind of strange. I don't yeah. Know, I don't know what. Maybe all the COVID weddings have since happened and everything's now back to a normal schedule. And Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know. New to the, new to the whole thing. But hopefully by your wedding in two weeks, we will be set. I, that's the goal. By your wedding in two weeks, we will be set. It's a passing of the baton. And then I just get to learn everything from you for the next year. Exactly. Yeah. Teamwork, Why? Tom. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, all right, fair enough. Uh, do we have a cherry on top today, yay or nay? We do. We do. All right, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Let's check it out. It's just a short one today. Okay. But it is something that you'll appreciate, Tom. I can't wait. One of the best nut cutters around right now. No doubt about it. Shot clock at three. Butler with Brogdon on him. It's a long bang, bang. three. And good. Oh, Jimmy freaking Butler puts it in. <laughs> Love Kevin Harlan. Jimmy freaking Butler. Love Kevin Harlan. <laughs> Love Carolina. And that's what people are saying at home. Including Boston fans. You know that's what they're saying. He cleaned it up a little. I mean, that dude. And look, tonight, Lakers had the best record in the NBA since a trade deadline. You know, a lot of people are shocked they beat Memphis and then really just dismantled Golden State. But, but their season's on a line tonight. You fall behind 2-0, D-U-N, right? For the most part, yeah. Done. D-U-N done. All right, thank everybody for uh, joining us again tomorrow. I mean, we got a lot going on. We got Steve Flesh, right, to talk about the PGA. We have Tommy G. Yes, top of the show, 10-10. Beautiful. Tommy G to talk about FC Cincinnati. What do they call that game with a sign on the road, Hell is Real? What do they Hell call is it? Real. Hell is Real. That's what they call it? Biggest yeah. home game of the year. I got a great story about that sign one day. Great story about that sign. With our buddy Chris Welsh. Tell it tomorrow. Yeah, we'll tell, we'll tomorrow. tell tomorrow. Uh, and then we have Paul O'Neill, uh, former Red and Yankee great, one of the all time greats uh, for the Yankees. And they've got a few on that all time greats list. Uh, he will be joining us to talk about the series. I'm assuming he's calling that series. There's no doubt he's calling that series. He does the Yankees games on television. So that's tomorrow on Off the Bench. Hope each and every one of you have a great Thursday, has a great Thursday. And we'll look forward to seeing you again tomorrow on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Be well.